how hot hell is going to be, how horrid hell is going to be. This week we're going to look at how sweet heaven will be. i got to tell you, as I studied this sermon, um, it just really made me long to be in that eternal place. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. I'll begin reading in verse 1, and then we'll read together verses 2, 4, and 6 aloud. The Bible says in verse number 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Together, verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. The title of the message this morning comes out of verse number 5. It's simply this, Behold, I make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, we're just thankful today for your grace and your love that you, you pour down upon us when we're so undeserving. And Lord, we're nothing more than wretched sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. But yet you love us anyway. Lord, I pray today the sermon would touch us deep. Many of us here have loved ones and friends, close family that have already passed and have entered into heaven. I pray that the sermon today would comfort those hearts. And Lord, if there's someone here today that hasn't secured heaven as their eternal destination, may the the picture be painted in such a way where they will decide to choose you. And they'll decide to be a believer in in Jesus Christ. God, for the saved today, would you help us to understand that your return is imminent. Lord, your reward is with you. And Lord, we need to work hard because the day is coming where our work on earth will be done. So help us to refocus. Help us to give it our best shot. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last fall, I traveled up to Vermont and stayed in the Chippios home, um, a vacation home up there. And I uh, took along with me several books to read. I took along a uh, my Bible, uh, my prayer list, and I, a planner for preparing my preaching schedule. I sat down and I began to scribble an idea down on each place where I knew I would be preaching in 2018. 
The theme this year is back to the basics. We're going back and covering the basics of the faith, of the Bible. And we've been trying to do this in a way that is palatable, that is enjoyable uh, and informative and also inspiring. And I hope that this year, uh, for those of you who are new to the faith, you have been grounded in your faith and that you'll continue to be grounded in your faith. For those of you that have been saved for years, I hope that as I have, some of the gaps of your understanding of the Bible and its doctrines have been filled in and you better understand. But as I sat down and began to prepare uh, what I was going to preach for 2018, I felt the Lord tell me through a time of prayer that I needed to make sure I covered the book of Revelation. I got to tell you, there's a lot of things about uh, the Bible and preaching I really, really enjoy. But when I started to scribble down uh, uh, the sermon ideas for Revelation, I... Uh, I wasn't exactly thrilled about the prospect of digging in deep and understanding the book. You see, prior to this year, uh, I have, for the most part, for the most part, avoided studying Revelation. And I've got to say that um, while I didn't look forward to it last fall, now that we're approaching the end of the book, it has been one of the richest, deepest, fulfilling studies that I have done. And I have really enjoyed preaching through this book I hope that the book has been a blessing to you and an inspiration to you as it's been preached chapter by chapter. Now, every preacher has his favorite topic. I am no different. But Revelation, prior to this series, was not necessarily one of them. Um, Throughout the sermon this morning, we will dive into the details uh, given about this new heaven and earth. Uh, But... Let me just ask you this. Revelation 21 and 22 doesn't really have a lot to say about our heavenly bodies. Have you ever given any thought of what our heavenly bodies will be like? What that's going to look like? What that's going to be like? Have you ever studied that out? By way of introduction, I want to give you, these won't be on the screen here, but I want to give you three thoughts about our heavenly bodies. Uh, The first thought I want to give you here is that when it comes to our heavenly bodies, we will maintain our individuality. We will maintain our individuality. Can you turn over to Matthew chapter 17? Obviously, hold your place in Revelation. We'll be there throughout the uh, core of the sermon. But turn over to uh, Revela- or Matthew chapter 17. And when you get to heaven, the question is, will uh, I still maintain my individuality or will we all be one and the same? And the answer is no. You'll still be an individual. You'll be recognizable. Some of you here this morning have uh, had miscarriages. And you never even met the child uh, that died in your womb, passed in your womb. But i got to tell you, the Bible tells us, that little children that die prior to an age of understanding, they go straight into the arms of Jesus in heaven. You wonder, will I even be able to recognize that child? Well, that part I don't know, but I know this. Your child will be recognizable. And God might just walk up to you and say, hey, this is the child that died in your womb. And I've been taking care of him for years, and now you get to meet this child. Isn't that going to be a great day? Isn't that going to be a great day? Listen, I I got to tell you, abortion breaks my heart. Um, if you've been attending here long, you know where I stand on the topic of of abortion. I view it as murder. Um, and I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty that's had an abortion. God's grace can flow all over you and forgive you, and give you um, uh, uh, His grace and His forgiveness, and He can He can restore you. 
just as he can anyone else. But um, if there is a silver lining to the, 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 the millions of abortions that have taken place is that those children are in the arms of Jesus. They're in heaven. When we get to heaven, though, we will be recognized as individuals. Now, look at Matthew 17, verse number 2. We find Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, in, uh, speaking of Jesus, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. So Moses and Elias left a heavenly location and came down and spoke with, ministered to Jesus, and they were recognizable as individuals. All right, let me give you a second thought about our heavenly bodies. Number two, we will be made incorruptible. We will be made incorruptible. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and let's look at uh, verse number 52 together. Here Paul is encouraging uh, the church of Corinth, and uh, really spent most of the book exhorting them, correcting them, but he's giving them something really positive to look forward to, and that would be the rapture, uh, the uh, catching away of the saints. We covered that in the first uh, sermon in, uh, of the series in Revelation. But look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse number two, uh, 52, and look here what it says. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We're going to leave this body of flesh behind, and we're going to leave corruptibleness behind, and we're going to put on incorruptible. Uh, Let me read for you some verses out of Isaiah 35. Listen to this. It says in verse 3 of uh, Isaiah 35, if you're taking notes, it's Isaiah 35, 3 through 5. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God will recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Hey, there's no blind people in heaven. There's no deaf people in heaven. There's no diabetes in heaven. For some of you here this morning, I'm joyous to tell you, there is no blood pressure medication in heaven. Uh, Your body will be incorruptible. There will be no issues with your body. Uh, We'll be able to run up and down the streets of gold. Some of you here are crippled and in a wheelchair, or uh, there's been a part of your body that's not worked uh, uh, much of your life, or maybe even all of your life, and in heaven there is none of that. We will put on incorruption. Let me give you one more thing here. Uh, Number three, we will resemble Christ's image. Turn over to 1 John 3. If you're in Revelation, you have a place marked in Revelation. Uh, it's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. All four of those books, 1 through 3 John and Jude, are short. So if you go back over to Revelation and you flip back a couple of pages, you'll find the Johns, the set of Johns. Go to 1 John chapter number 3 and look at verse number 2. i got to tell you, I read these verses this week and I... I started to weep a little bit, thinking, just thinking about this. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Speaking when we get to heaven. But we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man, everyone in humanity hath, uh, that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. We made in the image of Jesus. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you'll look 
a carbon copy cut out of Jesus. What, I, what that means is that you're going to be pure like Jesus is pure. You're going to be able to do the same things as far as uh, your body that Christ was able to do when he came back to earth resurrected. You remember how that he just appeared in a room? He didn't need to use the door. He just appeared and reappear somewhere else. Remember when he's walking down the Emmaus Road with the disciples and he got to their house and he, he prayed and when he broke bread, he just disappeared into thin air? We're going to be made just like him. You remember how that he told uh, uh, Thomas, place your hands in the prince, your fingers in the prince of my hand and put your hand in my side. He had bone and flesh. We'll have bone and flesh. And uh, uh, Jesus uh, looked like a man. Jesus ate like a man. But Jesus was much different than man today. Uh, uh, we will put off corruption. We will put on incorruption. We will be made in the image of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, uh, we are told that there's a lot that we don't know. First uh, uh, John 3 verse 2 says, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. There's a lot that is left a mystery for us. We'll just have to get to heaven and find out all of the details. I've heard people speculate things like, You'll be able to possibly see music. Wouldn't that be neat? Brother Pierre's over there playing the harmonica. And you see the notes coming out of there. Uh, you'll be able to possibly taste color. I don't know if those things are true. But you have to wonder if there aren't extra dimensions added to heaven. Uh, 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 it's fun to speculate, but all that is is speculation. Now, this morning I propose that the thought of heaven brings great comfort to the brokenhearted. It brings incentive to press on to the weary. Some of you here, you're war flat out. You run from the second you get up in the morning until the second your head hits the pillow. And you're like a spare tire chugging down the road at 80 miles an hour. When you're only supposed to be going 35 miles an hour. And you've worn all the tread off. The truth is you're about to fall asleep right now while I'm preaching. Some of you are sleeping right now. Should I wake them up? Wake up! Um, yeah, that was for you. Wake up. <laughs> you're weary. Some of you here have been serving in the same ministry for years, and you're not seeing the results that you want. You're weary and well-doing. Some of you have been trying to reach out to a family member that is disgruntled or away or estranged from you, and you're weary. Now, I've got to tell you, one day heaven is coming. Heaven's going to be Forever. Let that comfort you this morning. Let that comfort you. Let that encourage you. Let that incentivize you to keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing the things that God's called you to do. What is uh, uh, What does heaven, the thought of heaven, do? Well, it shows God's love for the humanity that he has created in his own image. And while sin has broken down that image, and while sin has hurt uh, uh, the, the earth and plagued it with a sin curse, God is going to one, once again make all things new. Now let me say this morning, especially if you're visiting today and you've not heard me preach much before, please listen to this. Heaven is available to everyone. But the Bible tells us that most humanity will not go to heaven. 
You say, but pastor, if it's available to everyone, why won't more people go? Because you must make a choice to choose Christ and believe on Him. His death, His burial, His resurrection. You must choose to believe in Christ alone to get you there. You must set aside belief in the fact that you're trying to be a good person or any other false system to get you to heaven. You must believe in Jesus, that He is, as He claimed in John 14, the way, the truth, the life. You say, oh, pastor, it can't be that simple. It absolutely is that simple. Jesus said you've got to come to Him with childlike faith. You know what life does to us? It makes us skeptical. You see a sign in a window that says, this costs this much. You know what I see? You know what I do when I see a sign like that? I look at the bottom of the sign for the really tiny print. I've become a skeptic. I used to, uh, when I was 19, 20 years old, I'd get these calls. Free cruise! Anybody here ever gotten a call like that? And then the next thing you know, you're giving them your information, and you know, 14 years later, you're still getting sales calls. There is really very little that's free in life. And we become skeptics. And so when someone gets up in church and says, going to heaven is free, all you got to do is believe in Jesus to save you, we sit back and go, uh-huh, sure. What's the catch? There is no catch. Acts 16.30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said unto him, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Saved, rescued, rescued from hell, rescued to heaven. And it really is that simple. Heaven is available to you. You must accept Jesus as your Savior. And I would encourage you, don't leave here today without doing that. Last week... We looked at scriptures and allowed the Bible to make hell hot. It spoke for itself. Today we seek to make heaven sweet. Let's look closely at six thoughts out of Revelations, uh, Revelation chapters 21 and 22 as we consider Christ's promise that one day, behold, I make all things new. Let's jump in and look at these six thoughts quickly. Number one, notice earth's destruction. Earth's Destruction. Look at Revelation chapter 21 with me in verse number 1. If you didn't bring a Bible today, we put a Bible in the pew in front of you. I would encourage you to open it up and let your eyes look at the Scriptures today with us. It says there, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look here. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and uh, there was no more sea. Now, turn over to Second Peter chapter 3 for me. Again, Second Peter is just a couple of pages back to the left there, right before First, Second, and Third John. You'll find Second Peter. Uh, uh, the Bible says that one day, uh, when after the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, after uh, the great white throne judgment, where the lost, those who don't receive Jesus as their, as their Savior, are judged and thrown into hell, at the conclusion of that great white throne judgment, God is going to destroy this earth. He's going to destroy the current heaven structure and he's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth to replace it. And uh, Peter gives us more information about the destruction of 
this planet. Uh, letter A, notice, earth's destruction by a flood. By a flood. Look at Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 5. For they were, uh, they, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was, uh, that then was being overflowed with water, Perish. This is a reference to the world that we're living on today is just a semblance, just a, a, a just a a small idea of what it was prior to the flood. You see, uh, God sent a flood that destroyed uh, everything on earth and the waters poured in from above, Genesis tells us, and they came in uh, from below and the planet looked different then than it does now. Sometimes people will ask Pastor, I have a hard time believing the Bible. It says that people lived to be 900 plus years old. You have to remember, it was a different earth then than it is now. While it was the same ball of dirt, the ecosystem was much, much, much different than it is now. The Bible tells us it didn't even rain prior to the flood. So the planet was much different then. Uh, people lived longer. Animals were bigger. Uh, the world was much, much, much different. And so the first destruction of the earth happened by a flood. Let her be notice a destruction of the earth by fire. Now, this is yet to happen by a fire. This is yet to happen, but it will one day happen. Look down at verse 7. 2 Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. Now, that verse 8 has confused a lot of people. I'll just say this to help you understand it here real quick. Um, God is not restricted by time. And because God has been since eternity past, and God will live in eternity future, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Have you noticed that as you've gotten older, time seems to move by a little bit quicker? God's been around since eternity past. How, how much faster does time move for God than it does for us? But the idea here we're looking at is that one day this earth will be destroyed by fire. Look down at verse number 10. But the day of the Lord shall come, uh, 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 for the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. There's your big bang. And the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens uh, 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 being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And so we're being told here that one day the heavens and the earth will uh, will blow up and will burn with fire and will be totally destroyed. And the earth will uh, suffer a destruction as God begins to prepare the way for a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the point Paul or Peter rather is trying to drive home here is, hey, who cares about that new car you got? Who cares about that big house you just bought? Who cares about all of the things that you accrue on planet Earth? One day they're all going to burn up and be destroyed. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this Earth. Uh, So number one, we see Earth's destruction. Number two, notice heaven's development. Heaven's development. Look back at Revelation chapter 21 and verse number one. It says there, and I saw a new heaven and a new Earth. A new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Uh, some people believe, uh, some of the commentaries I've read, and I've got to tell you, be careful about what you read about Revelation. There is some nutty, nutty, nutty stuff out there. And uh, it really is holding your nose uh, through the, the, the garbage to try to find the people who know what they're talking about and have actually studied the rest of the Bible. If all you've studied is Revelation and you don't have a background in knowing the rest of the Bible, you can come up with some weird stuff. So you have to make sure that you compare the Bible with the Bible. And it all has to line up because God's Word doesn't contradict itself. But there are people out there that believe that God is not going to actually destroy this earth. He's just going to repair it. And I have to say that Second Peter 3 strongly disagrees with that. They clearly didn't read that passage. And that God actually goes out of his way here uh, to say that this new planet, there will be no oceans. Now, there will be rivers. We'll look at that in a minute. But this new earth will not have oceans, okay? So, Revelation 21, uh, 1. And by the way, this planet didn't used to have a lot of oceans until the floods happened. And now we got oceans everywhere. So, uh, but uh, that, that wasn't God's original intent. Can you turn over to John chapter 14? By the way, John the Revelator uh, and, and the book, a Gospel of John, were written by the same people. John wrote a to- total of five books of the New Testament. John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then Revelation uh, was written, and I find it interesting that most of what we'll look at today was uh, pinned down through the hand of John, uh, uh, but by the voice of God. God told John what to write, but we'll be looking mostly at John's writings today, not exclusively, but the majority of it will be. John 14, uh, uh, Jesus had John pin these words down from a conversation that was had with the disciples as Jesus was making his journey to the cross there from the upper room, the Lord's Supper, uh, toward uh, the uh, place where he would be arrested. Look at verse number 1. And by the way, notice letter A, it's mansions. It's mansions. It says here, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, Pastors like me get up and they rail on the prosperity gospel. Okay? Just because you serve Jesus doesn't mean he's going to give you a big fancy car and a big beautiful house and millions of dollars in the bank. Jesus was homeless. So that, how'd that work out for Jesus? But prosperity is God's plan for the Christian when it comes to eternity. We're going to live here a very short time on this planet. We're going to live in heaven forever. Some of you here are struggling. You're living hand to mouth. Right? You get the money. You buy the food. You put it in your mouth. There is no cash reserve. And it's a struggle. Probably more of us here that way than we want to admit. In fact, most Americans are thousands of dollars in credit card debt. And then you throw the medical bills in on top of that. God's plan was not necessarily for you to be prosperous here on earth. While some of us will be, others of us won't. God's plan is for all of us to be prosperous and materialistic in heaven. You see, the Bible says that in my Father's house are many mansions. I want you to think about, in your mind's eye right now, I want you to think about the prettiest mansion you've ever seen. Some of you here do work in the New Canaan, Greenwich area. You have seen some beautiful homes. 
Um, God looks down and scoffs at that. My mansion's going to outdo any of their mansions. So will yours if you're saved. So heaven's development. What is going on right now? Well, God is, uh, Jesus is, is having these mansions built for all believers in heaven. Letter B, notice it's master builder. It's master builder. Look down at verse 2 of John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, verse number 2, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Who is preparing this place? Well, it's Jesus. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I have seen some buildings and structures and, and structures where uh, an amateur was the uh, master builder, was the general contractor, and the foundation was off, or something was wonky about the house. Uh, and uh, you take great uh, peace in knowing that the uh, the uh, the General contractor of a new structure has experience and knows what they're doing. i got to tell you, the general contractor of my mansion in heaven is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. What a beautiful mansion that's going to be. He knows my preferences. He knows my tastes. He knows what I want. And He knows that I'm going to want my wife, her mansion, right next to mine. Amen? I sure hope he does that for me. You say, well, pastor, if this heaven and earth are going to be made new, um, is it already going on now? And I believe, yes, it is. I believe that there's limited access to it, but I believe that this creation of this new heaven and earth is already going on now. In fact, um, this heaven and earth was being looked for by Abraham when he left Ur of the Chaldees and started traveling. Hebrews 11 verse 10 tells us this, For he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so this this new heaven and earth have been in the works, have been uh, uh, being developed for a very, very long time. And it is God's replacement to a fallen and broken down world, a earth that has been destroyed by sin and a heaven that has been marred by Satan's rebellion. And God will do away with those and bring about a new setup. Well, let's start looking at some particulars here about this new heaven and earth. Number three, notice the new Jerusalem's dimensions, the new Jerusalem's dimensions. Look down at Revelation chapter 21 and verse number nine with me. Look at verse number nine. It says there and there came into me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Um, when I first read that part about uh, coming and seeing the Lamb's wife, i got to tell you, I was a little thrown off by that. Because all throughout Scripture, the Lamb's wife is the church, right? You, you may, you may uh, remember that, is that we are the bride of Christ one day, and at this point we will be married to Christ. That took place earlier in the book of Revelation. But when it says that this city is the Lamb's wife, do you remember how uh, the harlot of uh, Revelation 19 had Mystery Babylon written on her head. 
And so the harlot was attached to a city. Well, here, the, the bride, the lamb's wife is being attached to a city. And this city is the new Jerusalem that will descend out of the new heaven and sit on the new earth. So let's look in great detail at this this uh, majestic city that will just be one part of the new heaven and earth. And John takes a lot of time to talk about this majestic city. Letter A, first, letter a, first notice, it's pearly gates. It's pearly gates. Look down at verse number 12 with me of Revelation 21. It says, and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gate gates 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. Now, um, interesting that you find the number twelve a lot in the Bible. That number twelve is an interesting number. i got to tell you, I did a lot of reading of mathematicians arguing on the internet this week. You say, why would you do that? Well, someone made a claim that 12 is a perfect number. And then others went back and forth saying, no, it's not. And then others were saying, yes, it is. I got to tell you, the theory was way over my head. At some point, I just kind of tuned out. But it, uh, running under the assumption that 12 is a perfect number, I can't stand behind that because I didn't go to school to be a mathematician. I went to school to be a preacher. Amen. But uh, the number 12 being a perfect number, with that, it's four sets of three God loves doing things in three. You are a triune being. God is a triune being. You are a body, soul, and a spirit. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Water is made up of, of uh, was it three molecules, I believe, right? Um, uh, you have three stages of water. Uh, and, and the list of threes goes on and on and on. Three parts to an egg. God is putting His fingerprint of three all over our culture saying, I made the world. This was no accident. But uh, you have the number 12, four sets of three, uh, the number 12. And we know that there were uh, 12 uh, tribes of, of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. There were 12 disciples. Uh, there were uh, uh, one day God is going to give the church, the bride of Christ, a crown that will have 12 stars in it. Uh, the number 12 runs all throughout the Bible. And you find the number 12 all throughout the making of this new Jerusalem. Uh, this city, this new Jerusalem will be uh, cubed. It will be as uh, long as it is wide. It will be as tall as it is long and wide. We'll get into that in a minute. But on each of the four sides of the city, there will be three gates. Now, don't miss this. This is really, really, really good. Um, each of those gates will have a pearl for a door. Now, the gate is 144 cubits tall. Uh, a cubit is 18 inches. I didn't do the math, but you could do the uh, math. The wall will actually be dwarfed compared to the size of the city. We'll look at that in a minute. But imagine a pearl that is 144 times 18 inches in height. Now, imagine 12 of those. They're going to be huge. Look down at verse 21 of Revelation 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. How is a pearl made? You take a clam or a shelled mollusk, and there is an irritation or a wound. And then there is the 
the saliva or the healing balm that's poured over that wound, that irritation, and the end result is a pearl. Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sins was upon Him, and by His stripes... We are healed. What makes the pearls that are the gates in heaven? It was the wound of our Savior and the fact uh, that He was willing to die for us. His sacrifice on the cross creates the pearls. And as we go in and out of this uh, heavenly city, this new Jerusalem, we'll be reminded of the day that we accepted Christ as our Savior and His suffering up on that cross and the beautiful pearl that was made through the process of our salvation. Salvation. Amen. It's pearly gates. Let her be noticed. It's precious foundations. It's precious foundations. And I made a small correction after I sent the notes over to uh, the, the people making the slides there. But that word foundation, put an S on the end of it. Foundations, plural. Look, at, uh, look down with me at Revelation 21.14. The Bible says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the name of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. By the way, the gates... Have uh, above each of the twelve gates has the name of the twelve tribes of Israel all the way around. So the twelve sons of Israel, their names will be above each of the twelve gates going around in a, in a cube there. But the foundations will have the names of the twelve apostles. So each layer of the foundation of the city is a separate type of precious stone. Precious stone. And inscribed on these precious stones are the names of the apostles. Look down at verse 19, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. I'm not going to read verse 20 because I don't know how to pronounce a lot of these stones. And I don't even know what all these stones are. But i got to tell you, they are precious. They've, it's got to be beautiful. Multicolored. And we know that the city lights up in every single way. And the light of Jesus Christ is going to shine through all 12 of these foundational stones. Letter C, it's prodigious size, or it's enormous size. Look with me at verse number 15. This is going to blow your mind. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length of it uh, as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 Furlongs, the length and the breadth of the uh, and the height of it are equal. So this is cubed. It's as tall as it is long as it is wide. Verse seventeen, and he measured the wall thereof. So this is the wall that has the pearly gates and one hundred and forty-four cubits, a cubit being eighteen inches, according to the measure of a man. That is of the angel. So uh, it says here that this city is as long as it is wide as it is tall. Well, how, uh, how, are, how is this measured out? It's measured out at 12,000 furlongs. Now, if you Google furlong, you find out that a furlong is 220 yards. So, 220 yards times the 12,000 furlongs comes out to 2,640,000 yards long or 1,500 miles. Put the next picture up there for me. 
If you took 1,500 miles, you would have to start somewhere just south of Quebec City and travel to the suburbs of Miami in a straight line as the crow flies. Over into Mexico, back up into Canada, that right there, is exact, if you traveled that line, you would travel exactly 6,000 miles, 1,500 times 4. That's a big city. Now, here's the most amazing part. It is as tall as it is long and wide. Now, to help give you some um, context to the height of it, it is 64 miles from sea level to outer space. But this city goes up 1,500 miles, not 64. You say, well, is it just sky above a single level? I don't believe it is. Now, again, we're not giving those details. But imagine with me, imagine with me now, that there was a different level or layer every mile. That would be that footprint times 1,500 all of the saved people that have ever lived could easily live inside of this city and have hundreds of acres to take care of. You figure there might be a billion people on the planet that save today, right? One out of seven, maybe, maybe, if you really stretch it. And we know there's more people alive today than ever has been. In fact, it took the earth a long time to even get to a billion people. Um, Maybe three billion total saved that have put their faith and trust in Christ. They would all easily be able to fit inside the new Jerusalem. Now, this is just one city on the new earth. There's, just, there's really very little to no description about the rest of the earth or the new heaven. John just gives us one little peek into one city in the new heaven and new earth. It's prodigious size. Letter D. And I could spend a lot of time on any one of these things. But letter D, we, we move on and we look at it. It's pure street gold. It's, it's, it's pure gold street, rather. It's pure gold street. Look at back at verse 21 of Revelation 21. And it says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. When I was younger, I heard someone say that... Um, if you take gold and you continue to purify it, eventually it becomes, on some level, see-through. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a chemist. I cannot back up that statement. So if you're sitting here today going, that's not true. Okay, that's fine. All right? But, God can do the impossible. And God can have another type of gold in heaven we don't have here on earth. So God is capable of making the street in heaven pure gold, pure gold. So we see uh, the uh, New Jerusalem dimensions. And this isn't even describing the rest of the new heaven and the new earth, but just the New Jerusalem. Number four, notice the New Jerusalem distinctives. The New Jerusalem distinctives. Letter A, what is prohibited? There are some things that we have here on earth that we won't have in heaven. Letter A, what is Prohibited. First notice that in heaven there will be no sorrow. No sorrow. We're going to look at verse 4 in just a minute. 
Do you all remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the great white throne judgment? How that God will judge the quick and the dead. He'll open the books of their life. Remember that? How that every sin they've ever committed will be in a book before God. And that the Bible will be there. And that the book of Lamb's book of life with all the names of the saints will be there. And that he's going to take everyone and judge them by their works. By their works. And if you are being judged in that judgment, the verdict is already decided. You go to hell. Because you're guilty of sin. And you did not accept Christ as your Savior. Remember I talked about at the end of that sermon how that we most likely will be in the grandstands of heaven. Watching that. My friend, that's going to be a very emotional time where family members of ours who rejected Christ and neighbors who we didn't witness to and uh, uh, the people that we worked with who we were too ashamed to share Christ with. And I don't know how dramatic it will be. I've heard preachers say things like, they're going to stick their finger up at you in the crowd and say, why didn't you tell me? I don't know if that will happen or not. But I know this, Ezekiel says that their blood figuratively, will be on our hands. Where we will feel smitten in our spirit. I didn't do enough to keep that person out of hell. Right at the end of the great white throne judgment, God destroys the current heaven and earth and He creates the new heaven and earth. Very early on in Revelation 21, we find verse 4. Look down there with me. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. You know, there's going to be a lot of tears of regret at the beginning of heaven. I didn't do enough. I didn't work hard enough. My focuses were wrong. My, my attention, my attentions and, and, and what I gave my time to is wrong. And God's going to come along and He's going to wipe every tear out of every eye. There's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more crying in heaven. And it's a good thing that he does that, or we would be boo-hooing for millions of years. Next notice that there's going to be no sickness. Look back at verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Can I get an amen right there? Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Any more pain. Little girl falls off her bicycle. Uh, she won't scrape her knee and it won't even hurt. She won't break a leg. A little boy runs into the wall. Some of you have toddlers walking around the house and you know that boys and bumps are synonymous. They just go hand in hand. Uh, 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 children or grandchildren, you see that. And, and they sit there and they boohoo and they cry. No more pain. There won't be a doctor in heaven. There won't be a hospital, a walk-in clinic. There won't be medicine or pills or drugs in heaven. There will be uh, uh, no depression in heaven. There will be uh, uh, no more mental illness in heaven. There will be no sickness in heaven. Next we see what is prohibited. We see no sun or moon. No sun or moon. Look down with me at verse 23. Revelation 21. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did light in it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. 
You remember when God took uh, Moses and He hit him in the cleft of the rock and He passed by and He told Moses, no man can see My glory because it would kill him. You remember that? And Moses came out and it says he saw the after effects of God passing by. And then Moses came down off the mountain and the people said, Whoa, Moses, your face is so lit up. Put a veil on. We can't hardly look at you. And when Moses would come out of his time, uh, uh, secret time in prayer with the Lord, he had to wear a veil over his face for a while because God had lit up his face. That same light, that same God is going to sit in the center of this Jerusalem where all of these Precious stones are everywhere and His light is going to run through there and there will be no need of a sun or moon because He will be the light that lights everything up. Next we see here that in heaven uh, there will be no sin curse. Oh, hold on, no shadows, no shadows. Look down at verse number 25. It says, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. No night. It'll be day all the time. Look at verse uh, chapter 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there. God found it important enough to have John write this down twice. And, and they need no candle. So there won't be master electricians in heaven. There won't be any electricity. God's light will light it all up. Uh, uh, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign Forever and ever. You know, when I think that there will be no shadows, I think of some of the times of my life that have been dark and dreary and sad, and I have just gone and found some room that was quiet, turned the light off and just sat there. There won't be any dark rooms in heaven. You say, well, Pastor, how am I supposed to get sleep? I didn't put this one in here, but maybe no sleep in heaven? No, I don't know that. Maybe we will sleep, uh, uh, but we won't need to sleep. Uh, that will be total decision. How many of you here love to sleep and you're willing to admit it? Would you raise your hand? Maybe God will either take that away from you or he'll give you a really soft pillow in heaven. <laughs> Next, notice what is prohibited in heaven. Notice no sin curse. No sin curse. Look at Revelation chapter 22, the beginning of verse 3. It says there, and there shall be no more curse. Look at Revelation 21, verse 8. Where are the sinners? Well, the Bible tells us. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These, um, these people that die in their sin. These people that relied on their good works to get to heaven, they die in their sin. They're going to be falling through a bottomless pit of fire called hell. They won't be in heaven. God is going to give us that are saved a body that has no sin curse, no desire to sin. And so you won't get mad at your neighbor if he blows his leaves onto your lawn. Or steals the stapler out of your cubicle. Won't happen. Amen, Brother Joe? Where are you at, Joe? Joe's our administrative assistant. And he's lost like four staplers. He keeps claiming people steal them. And I'm like, no, I think you're just misplacing them. But no, no more getting mad at people in heaven over that, Brother Joe, because no one will take it. Amen? No sin in heaven. No sin. Look down at chapter 21, verse 27. 
And there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, if, uh, if a pathetic lost soul who died in its sin was somehow able to escape hell, the Bible tells us that there are twelve angels waiting at this beautiful city to keep anyone from coming in, even if they so desired. Let, let, notice, lastly here, no sanctuary in heaven. No sanctuary. Look down to chapter 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple or sanctuary therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. What was the purpose of the temple being built? It was to give God a a, a dwelling place amongst people. Well, uh, God is going to fill up the new heaven and the new earth. He'll be everywhere and He'll be felt everywhere. And you'll be able to go and leave His presence instantaneously. So there will be no temple in heaven. God Himself will be the temple. So letter A, we see what is prohibited. Letter B, let's quickly look at what is present. What is present. I've got to move quickly here. We notice first the water of life. The water of life. Look down at uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse number 1. Notice there it says, And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So, uh, in the Jerusalem during the millennial reign, there will be a river that runs from the throne of Jesus while He sits on this earth's Jerusalem. And that river will run out to the nations. And that's similar to what will happen in heaven, except this water will not be earthly water. This water will be heavenly water. And it will run out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the water of life. And that water will flow and it will nourish all of the uh, all of the soil of heaven. It will provide for all of the life of heaven and Anything that requires water in heaven will come from the Lamb Himself. Uh, we see that what is present in heaven, the water of life, I don't know if we'll go swimming in it or not, but I know we'll drink from it. Uh, uh, next we see the tree of life. The tree of life. Look down at chapter 22, verse 2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare, here's that number 12 again, 12 manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. Uh, by the way, 12 months in a year. I don't think that's an accident. And the leaf of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this tree will bear 12 different types of fruits all on it at once, and it will produce new fruit every month, every month. So uh, uh, we'll be able to go up and pick this uh, fruit off the tree and just eat it. Uh, uh, by the way, we see the fruits of the Spirit, right? And so these are evidenced on the tree. Next, notice the light of life. This might be my favorite part of the sermon, the light of life. While you're finding Revelation 22, verses 4 and 5, let me read for you what John wrote in chapter 8 and verse 12. John 8, 12 says this, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus' title is the light of life. Now, we know that he's the light that lights up this jasper heaven, this jasper cubed city. And that there will be no shadows, because shadow is the absence of light. And there will be no corner of heaven that isn't filled with the light of Jesus. Look down at verse 4 of Revelation 22. Jesus is your Savior. I want you to cherish these words. 
and they shall see his face. I can't wait for that day. When I look up into the face of my Savior who died for this wretched soul and saved me. Boy, nothing else is going to matter at that point. I think about the day I looked in the eyes of my bride. Everyone else on the platform ceased to matter or even be there in my mind. How much greater and intense is it going to be when we look in the eyes of the one that saved us? The light of life. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They, ha- they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. The light of life. If you have a, a loved one who's passed on to glory, as most of us here do, What do you think they're doing right now? They're drinking of the river of life. Right? I don't know that these things are in the current heaven, but if if they are, that's what they'd be doing. But one thing I can tell you for sure, they are staring into the eyes of the light of life and loving on him. Number one, we looked at the earth's destruction. Number two, heaven's development. Number three, the new Jerusalem dimensions. Number four, the new Jerusalem's distinctives. Number five, let's look at heaven's dwellers. Heaven's dwellers. Quickly, letter A. How do you get into heaven? Notice, the overcomer who believes. The overcomer who believes. You say, oh, pastor, there it is. Works-based salvation. You get into heaven by overcoming sin. And how does a person overcome sin? By doing more good than they do bad. See, Pastor, right there. You put it on the screen. In fact, look at Revelation chapter 21, verse number 7. It says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So, how do you get to heaven? Well, you got to work, Pastor. you got to work. you got to overcome. That's what it says right there. you got to overcome all things, all the evil of the world. Well, hang on just a minute. Turn back to 1 John chapter 5. And again, remember, John wrote Revelation, and God had John write 1 John. And we're going to be told how it is that we overcome. 1 John chapter 5 articulates this so well. Look at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our works. Is that what it says? Even our church attendance. Even our walking old ladies across the street. Even our putting money in the offering plate. No, no, no. Even our faith. How do you overcome evil? By your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? In the beginning of the sermon, I told you the way you get to heaven is that you must believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again from the dead for you. You must put your faith in him to get you there. 
Once you do that, you are labeled in heaven as an overcomer. In Revelation, the very beginning of the book, all the way through, we find a theme of the overcomers, and overcoming, and overcoming. And John reminds us in 1 John that we overcome through faith. We overcome by believing, let her be notice, heaven's dwellers, those written in the Lamb's book. Those written in the Lamb's book. Look at chapter 21 with me, in verse 27, back in Revelation. It says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. You say, oh, I'm a good person. No, you're defiled. And so am I. Because we're sinners in our nature. There shall in no wise enter to it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever work of abomination or maketh a, a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, how do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? By believing that Jesus is the Son of God. When you make that decision, your name is not written in pencil with an eraser on the other end. It's written in ink, and it isn't coming out. And one day, if your name is in that book, then you're going to get to enter this beautiful heaven. Let me finish with a, a, a challenge to those that are saved today. By the way, if you're lost, and you've not put your faith in Jesus to save you, you've been depending on your works, or you've been depending on another religious system, you've been depending on anything other than Jesus to get you to heaven. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Christ as your Savior so that you can, you can, uh, 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 you can check out of your reservation to hell and you can punch your reservation for heaven. But for those of you here that are saved today, let me leave you with this challenging thought. Number six, notice the church's drive. Now let's not forget, the book of Revelation was not written for us just to sit around and study and speculate. The book of Revelation was written for us to get up and go to work. And it challenged the church not to be discouraged and quit, but to move forward. Look at um, letter A. Notice his return is imminent. His return is imminent. After the uh, Apostle John gets through describing this beautiful city, we are reminded that we have work to do. Look at chapter 22, verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Look down at chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. Hey, you get the point? Jesus is coming quickly. And there's going to come a day where Jesus steps in the clouds and the trumpet blows and the shout of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise and those of us which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord to meet Him in the air. And, and, and so shall we be forever with the Lord. There's going to come a day when our work here is done and the last track uh, gospel of invitation has been extended. The last gospel message by the church has been preached and our work on earth will be done. And the question is, are you keeping the commandments of this book? Are you doing your part? Are you watching for His return? You see, there are those that watch for Jesus by sitting around and, and looking like the disciples did when Jesus left and promised to return. And the angel came down and he said, Hey, get to work! And I'm here today to tell you that we're not to be sitting on our, our rear ends and twiddling our thumbs and waiting for Jesus to come back and, and, and just resting on our blessed assurance. God is calling He's called you to get busy in the house of the Lord doing the work of the Lord. One day, is He going to come back and catch you being lazy? Or is He going to come back and catch you working hard? He tells us that we're to keep His commandments. There's watching and waiting, and there's watching uh, while working. And I don't want to be one that's watching while waiting. Bless God, I want to work because His return is imminent. Let her be notice His reward is with Him. Look back at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. 
To give every man according as his work shall be. Sometimes I am guilty of using illustrations that might be too, too simple. And that may be an accusation that can be hurled at me here. But while simple, I think it paints an accurate picture. I want you to imagine, a mom says to her children, I am going to the store today, and I'm going to buy uh, uh, tickets to take you to Six Flags. I'm going to have them with me when you come. Uh, I pick you up. You see, today is report card day. And I'm going to take your report card. And if on that report card you have straight A's, I'm going to give you the reward that I will have with me. You see, one day Jesus is going to step in the clouds. He's going to call us home. He's not going to have the reward in heaven. He's going to have it on his person. And if you have been faithful, you have done your part, his reward will be with him to give you. It was D.L. Moody that said, it is not success that I'm afraid of. It's being successful at all the wrong things. When you get to heaven and God looks at you, is he going to say, yes, you were a success, but that success will burn up with a fervent heat? Or is he going to say, you laid up for yourself treasures in heaven? Here are the rewards that you've earned. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. Are you going there? Do you know that one day when you die, that those pearly gates created through the suffering of our Savior are going to swing open. Are you going to go walking through the gates that represent the suffering that Jesus did on your behalf? Or are you going to get to heaven and find those gates closed because you didn't believe in Jesus and you're then led off by an angel and cast into hell? You see, my friend, salvation is available to everyone. One verse we didn't look at in 2 Peter 3 is verse 9. It says, God is not willing that any should perish or go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, it is really simple. Romans 10 tells us there are two things that you must do with two different body parts Those two things are that you must believe and you must confess. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And if you are here today and you would like to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your Savior, you want Him to come in and take away your sins and give you the gift of heaven, then just pray this very simple prayer with me right under your breath and mean it with all your heart. If there's a portion of the prayer that you can't mean, then stop dead in your tracks and don't finish the prayer. But if you can mean this out of a humble heart, you can call on Jesus to save you. Then just pray this prayer. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, under your breath, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves punishment in hell. But I know that you died on the cross for me. You suffered in my place. Then you rose from the dead. I believe in you and you alone to take me to heaven. Forgive my sins and save my soul. 
If you're here today and you prayed that prayer in your pew and you prayed that prayer for the first time while understanding what you were doing, would you just slip up your hand so I can rejoice with you? Is there one that says, I prayed that prayer? I prayed that prayer. Is there one here that says, I did that today? How many here say, Pastor, there was another time in my life where I prayed a prayer similar to that, and I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus has already saved me, and I can't wait till the day that I get there. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand a testimony of that? I know I'm going to heaven. Jesus is my Savior. If you're here today and you weren't able to raise your hand to either question, can I ask you, what are you waiting for? You want to play chicken with death? Young people die all the time. Old people die all the time. You're going to die without getting this settled with God? Well, Jesus wants to save you. Don't delay. Don't delay. How many here today say, Pastor, Jesus is coming. He's going to have his reward with him. And my priorities have not, are not always where they ought to be. Pray that I'm able to get my heart on track and I'm able to give my attention to the things that really matter, laying up treasures in heaven. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I need my priorities to be straightened out. Many hands. Lord, I ask today that you would help us to be comforted by the thought of a heaven that is free of sickness and pain and death and sorrow and and shadows and sin. Lord, a place that is filled with the light of heaven, the river of life, the tree of life, the streets of gold. Lord, a city that in a lot of ways is beyond even our comprehension. A city, a place that we just get a little bit of a glimpse of one portion of what you're creating. Lord, may we be comforted by that. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that uh, is not trusting you, would you convict their heart during this time of invitation? And the Lord, for us that are saved, may we do the work that you've called us to do until the day that you call us home. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, the altar's open. In just a few minutes, we're going to honor the Lord's Supper and take the Lord's Supper. And God says that our hearts need to be confessed from sin. We need to have a heart that's right with others and right with God. And so you can come and kneel and pray and talk about talk to the Lord about the sermon, or you can just ask the Lord to forgive you and give you a pure and clean heart before Him. But let's prepare our hearts today as we uh, uh, prepare to, to, to partake of the Lord's Supper here in just a moment.